in our knowledge our experience our recognition our discernment of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will not be short-sighted or blind or seen afar off but we will stand thank you father we bless you in Jesus name amen all right we want to try our best to complete our series on the battle for purity today I have to try and finish today because this series shouldn't cross 2021 because 2022 has a certain direction the Lord is leading us as a church I don't want that to enter into the year with the next year with us so I want to finish it today hallelujah So today happens to be part is it part eight or part nine part eight of our series on the battle for purity we have explained through diverse ways that walking in purity It's not only a rest in Christ. It is a wrestle in Christ. Dealing with sin is, is, is a striving. We need to understand the positional work of Christ in the believer's life and the experiential reality of what Christ is doing in the believer's life currently through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you listen to my teaching often, you realize that I always speak about three main things in the New Testament. We said we have the finished work of Christ, we have the present or ongoing work of Christ, and then we have the future work of Christ. If you want to understand the New Testament, you need to understand these three things. The finished work of Jesus Christ is what Christ has done for us without us. Our only contribution to the finished work of Jesus is to believe. If Christ died for our sins and died to save us, we, we respond to that reality by faith. <clears throat> that is how come salvation is not 50% man and 50% God. That is not salvation. Salvation is... 100% God and 0% man. You can never add anything to salvation except to believe. So everything Jesus accomplished in his finished work is experienced only on the basis, on the grounds or foundation of faith. But you see, Faith alone is enough for salvation. But faith alone is not enough for Christian living. You've got to put this down. Faith alone is enough for salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, the verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. 
So salvation is grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. There is nobody here who qualifies to go to heaven or qualifies to be a child of God because he does something good. Good people don't make heaven. Saved people do. So in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. So salvation is only effected on account of God's grace. And the only way we can receive it is by faith. So grace is the hand that gives. Faith is the hand that receives. So our response to the finished work of Jesus Christ is to receive by faith. Are you, are you following this? He says that not of yourself. So there's nothing about your work. There's nothing about uh, your effort that could earn you salvation. It's the first foundation for Christianity. If that foundation is not in place, your Christian life will be filled with struggle. He says and that not of yourself. It is a gift from God. Not of works lest any man should boast. So our response to the finished work of Jesus Christ is faith. But like I said, faith, is, faith alone is enough for salvation, but faith alone is not enough for Christian living. This is where we come to the ongoing work of Jesus Christ because when Jesus finished the work of saving you, that was not all. There was something wrong with the sound. That was not all. There is still an ongoing work of Jesus Christ which is done by the Holy Spirit in bringing you into the perfect will of God and fulfilling God's plan now, this is very important that is the current work of Jesus the current work of Jesus Christ is to bring you to the place of transformation where your character your conduct and everything is in the very likeness of Jesus Christ And with that one, it's not finished. That one takes your cooperation with the Holy Spirit to make that a reality. So our response to the ongoing work of Jesus Christ is obedience through yieldedness. You've got to write that down. Remember I said your response to the finished work of Jesus Christ is what? Faith. Your response to the ongoing work of Christ inside you is obedience through what? Yieldedness. That means until you yield to the Holy Spirit to obey God, to obey God's word, to obey God's promptings, God's instructions, you cannot experience real transformation in your Christian walk. Christianity will be a mere profession. without yielding to God. So we always say it is one thing for Jesus to be your savior. It's another for him to be your Lord. As your savior, he saves you. As a Lord or your Lord, he controls the activities of your life. So, on account of salvation, we believe Jesus. On account of him being our Lord, we obey Jesus. And obedience is what separates the boys from the men. 
we have a lot to talk about today because we are finishing this thing today so let me just go into it i wish i could do this more then the future work of jesus christ is the work he's going to do when he appears in eternity he's going to transform our bodies to conform to his glorified body and all those experiences so last week we we did a little bit of recap and then we we entered into some other details but before last week we read second corinthians chapter 6 from the verse 14 to 18 and i was explaining something from there about the separation of the believer when it comes to matters of purity now he says do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers we have explained that for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness he says and what communion has light with darkness the next verse says and what concord has christ with belial or what part has the believer with an what infidel next verse and what agreement has the temple of god with idols for ye are the temple of the living god as god has said i will dwell in them and walk in them and i will be their god and they shall be my people now we explain that these five things are explaining the influence of the world over the believer's life or the influence of the believer over the unbeliever's life when the bible is saying don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever he's saying we are not same so we cannot behave the same so he's not saying don't have a friend who's not an unbeliever he's saying don't be influenced by that friend or that person or that system so he compares about five things if not four he says righteousness with unrighteousness we explain that righteousness unrighteousness describe the sphere of moral behavior when the bible says what communion has righteousness with unrighteousness he's saying he's speaking of the moral behavior the unbeliever finds it okay to sin but because the believer is righteous there is something about his outlet of righteousness we are not the same so righteousness and unrighteousness is speaking of moral behavior number two is light and darkness which speaks of intelligence as it pertains to the things of God the believer has a certain intelligence about God that the unbeliever does not have because he has encountered light truth now let me give you a practical example Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 now come there and see something amazing why there is a big difference between you and the unbeliever if you don't understand this you're, you may live your life waywardly now look at the verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4 he says this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other what Gentiles walk in the what what's their problem in the what vanity of their minds so they have a problem with vanity so it's a shock when you find a believer trying to think like an unbeliever they have a problem with their mindset now look at the next verse he says having their understanding darkened if you find an unbeliever 
doing certain things you know is not right is simply because his understanding of God is darkened. So to partner such a person is, is to not know who you are and what you have in Christ. He says having the understanding what darkened being what alienated from the life of God. This person does not have life. Now look at the argument. Paul first says the unbeliever's mind is vain. Number two, his understanding is darkened. Number three, he's separated from God's life. So he does not have eternal life. Then he goes on to say, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is where? In them. They are ignorant. Because of the what? Blindness of their heart. Look. He's not only ignorant, he's blind. Then it comes to the verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness. Now, lasciviousness is the work of the flesh. Lasciviousness is actually the tendency to think that grace is lying sins. That's the word lasciviousness. It's a work of the flesh. Anytime you think that because of the grace of God, you have permission to do what you want on account of that reality, you are licentious as a believer. Grace is not actually what gives license to sin. Men sin without license. Do you need license to drive? You only need a car. So there are people who say, when you listen to grace, you have license. No, you can choose to listen to grace and choose to make that grace message a license to sin. That act of you thinking that by having grace, I can sin, is the work of the flesh called licentiousness. Are you following that? Because some of us here had grace and we, we are serving God much better. Are you following this thing? So he's saying... Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work on cleanliness with greediness. Now look at the verse 20. Now referring to the believer. He says, but you have not what? So learned Christ. That means the believer has not been taught by Christ this way. To be a born again believer the mere reality of you being saved is an enlightenment. There is something about your heart and your mind that is enlightened. The Bible calls you light. He says you have not so learned Christ. So there are some things we learn inwardly about Christ. And he says in the next verse, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Listen, you can walk in such a way that you have not been taught by Jesus that way. Which means that teaching determines the walk of the believer. This is very important. What you hear over, you manifest verse 22 he says that you put off concerning former conversation your former your former manner of life he says the believer must put it off look at that 
He says, you put off your former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. This is amazing. So if you read Ephesians carefully, he uses two words, put off and put on. Why does he use this word? He's saying you should put off concerning your former conversation. The word conversation, there is not a conversation with you and I. The word conversation actually means manner of life. It means behavior. He says you should put on concerning the former behavior of the old man. So what does it mean to put off? What does it mean to put on? Now, this is actually a New Testament word to describe dominion. What dominates you? Allow, to, to put on something means to allow that thing to dominate you. To put off means you don't allow it to dominate you. So when he's saying put off concerning your former conversation, he's saying don't let the Adamic nature dominate your life. Because that is what dominates the unbeliever. I'm following this thing carefully. So, then he comes to Christ and Belial. That's the next comparison. Now, that has got to do with the realm of authority. The person you acknowledge as master in your life. He's saying the unbeliever does not recognize Jesus as Lord. So, he doesn't see the need to obey Jesus Christ. That is how come when you find yourself living exactly the way God intends you to live as a Christian, you will have problems with unbelievers. Listen, if your Christian life is so comfortable that unbelievers are comfortable about the way they relate with you, there is a problem. They should find a problem with how you walk and how you live. They should find a problem. If not, you have joined them. If not, they have influenced your life. Now, this is very key. If you have an unbelieving person around you and you are so bonded and you are so covenanted, you are so normal and they, they never have any issue with your spirituality, your convictions, the light you have, there is something wrong. Then he spoke of the believer on the, and the unbeliever. You, you should come back to 2 Corinthians. That has got to do with the realm of faith. Then he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He's saying that the believer is God's temple. That means the unbeliever is actually an idol. That means something else has possessed that unbeliever which is not God. So it has got to do with the person's worship. So what this verse is saying is that we must be different, number one, in moral behavior. Number two, we must be different in thinking and reasoning. Number three, we must be different in who is in charge over our life, who we acknowledge as our master. We must be different in it. Because Jesus is my master, there are things I can't do because my master won't permit me to do that. Number four, we must be different in faith, convictions. And number five, we must be different in worship. What does this mean? Simply means a genuine believer should be known for his moral behavior. If you find a Christian who says my Christianity is in my heart, check that Christian carefully. There's a problem. A genuine believer should be known for his moral behavior, 
for his intelligence as it pertains to the things of God. He must be known for his acknowledgement of who is truly his master. He must be known for his faith and absolute confidence in God. And he must be known for who and what he truly worships. It's the same thing I've said, but I'm just trying to put it another way. So, don't be that believer that is neither here or is there. That's not genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity must produce evidence. So, now he says, I will be their God and it shall be my people. Now, look at the verse 17. He said, Wherefore come out from among them and be separate. Now, this is a command not to be mingling with civilian affairs, worldly stuff. He says, Come out from among them and be separate, distinct. Say the Lord and touch not the unclean thing. This is a matter of purity. It is part of the Christian walk. He says, and I will receive you. Does it mean without that God has not received us? There is a context for this writing. Let's proceed further to this. He says, and I will be a father to you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Almighty God. Now, there will be a confusion. Now, aren't we the sons of God? Why do we have to separate ourselves from the world system and from unbelieving influences before God calls us his sons and children. Because he says, when you do this particular thing, I will be a father to you. And you shall be my own sons and daughters. Now, the context of this writing here is actually fellowship and intimacy. Every believer that is called has a relationship with God. But not every believer has intimacy with God. Prophet Imam made a very profound statement some few days ago. He said, relationship with God is by birth. Intimacy with God is by choice. It's by choice because you have to choose to obey God. So, by default, you are in a relationship with God. I don't have to force my, my son to become my son. He's my son because I bet him. He does not have to do anything to enter a relationship with me. If this relationship is by blood, our relationship with God is by the blood of Jesus. You can't do anything about it. But you see, this time around, it is my son who will determine how close he wants to be. It is my son who will determine how much of my influence will dominate his life. So, he can be my son by blood, but by influence, he's not. Are you following this thing? Do you know, do you know your father can give birth to you and your teachers may be influencing you? Your father can give birth to you, but the one actually influencing your life is your friends. 
getting this thing at all. So the context of this fatherhood here is fatherhood that comes by intimacy. Not by position, not by blood, not by spiritual birth in Christ Jesus. Do you know that sometimes you can give birth to your son and your son goes to write a paper, an exam, he tops the whole school, he becomes the best student. Now you say, that's my son. Isn't he your son? But me saying that's my son is a pride because of something he has done. So, when God says, I'll be a father, this one is a pride. When the believer separates himself, he becomes God's pride. He says, look at my boy. That's my son. He's a son to me. Are you getting this thing? Are you God's pride? That's my boy. Meanwhile, he's your son. So we are sons of God by birth. But we can assume a certain sonship from God that comes when God is proud of us. Your son. I'm your father. You're my son. I wish you could understand that there's a concept called salvation and there is also the joy of salvation. You can be a Christian, you can be a Christian and be saved and not experience the joy of salvation. Salvation comes by faith. The joy of salvation comes by growing as a Christian. And a sign that you are growing is separation. Are you following this thing? Is it getting there at all? So, this verse doesn't mean that we become sons, we become sons and daughters by obedience to his word. But rather, we are manifestly his sons and daughters when we behave in this way. At that time, we begin to enjoy and experience the joy and delight of sonship in a way we have never experienced before. When we separate ourselves from the wrong system, from unbelieving influences, from impure stuff, we begin to experience the joy and the delight of sonship in a way we have never experienced before. Praise God. Do you know Jesus was actually God's son? During baptism, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yet when Jesus was raised from the dead, in Acts chapter 13 from the verse 33, he says, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Jesus was God's son. Yet when he was raised, God says, thou art my son. How did that one come? It came when Jesus was obedient to God. Am I helping someone at all?
I can tell you, I'm a child of God. God loves me so much. I've served God for some years now. But actually, it is in this year I've enjoyed the fatherhood of God more than any other year in my life. It is this year I've enjoyed the fatherhood of God more than any other year in my life. That didn't come on a silver platter. It came by my choice of doing things in God's word other Christians will, will not be willing to do. So now my experience of God as father has, has grown. Not because I'm special. No. It has always been there. But this is a matter of choice. So when he says in 2 Corinthians 6 when he says I'll be a father to you this one is actually in context about pride of the father. Surprisingly every reality you see in the Old Testament we see its every shadow you see in the Old Testament we see its substance in the New. I explained to you the other time. Now, listen carefully. Don't be distracted. Israel was in captivity in Egypt for 430 years. Moses came as a deliverer to set them free. He performed nine miracles. Nothing happened. On the tenth miracle, which was the miracle that passed over when blood was shed, the firstborn of an animal was killed. The blood was applied on the doorpost. God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. After that miracle, Moses was allowed by Pharaoh to take Israel out. And then Israel came out of captivity. On their way going, Pharaoh sent a whole troop. A power came from Egypt to attack them. Moses stretched forth his hands. He divided the sea and they walked through on dry ground. Uh, Pharaoh and his team were coming over and the seas covered up. And that day, the power of Pharaoh was completely broken over Israel. God said to them, the Egyptians you see today, you will not see them again. Israel went through the wilderness as they were being prepared for the um, promised land. They got to the promised land by their own choices. They entered into another captivity, which was the captivity of Babylon. This one was not by birth. It was not by default. It was by their choices. Are you following this thing at all? Now, it's the same picture. The problem Israel had, uh, if you read 1 Corinthians 10 from the verse 1 to 10, you see that Israel had wrong choices. They fell into last problems. They fell into murmuring and all that. All those things you see Israel do, the church is doing now. Now, we as men were in bondage to sin, just like Israel. Many years there was no savior. God appointed a savior. That savior was Moses. God appointed as a savior. That savior is Jesus. Jesus, you know, Moses performed many miracles. It was one miracle that brought them out. Jesus performed many miracles. It was only one miracle that saved man, the shedding of his blood. So the Lamb of God that was killed was a picture of Jesus Christ, who's the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. So the blood was applied on the doorpost when the angel of death came and saw the blood he passed over. 
The blood of Jesus is applied upon our hearts by faith. When death sees us, it passes over. So we have passed from death to life because of our faith in Jesus. By that miracle, they were set free from the judgment of sin. Just like the blood of Jesus has set us free from the judgment of sin. So they were freed from judgment of sin. But they were still under the power of Egypt. So Pharaoh sent a troop. That was the power of Egypt coming after them. And, and Moses stretched forth his hands. And the sea was divided. He made a way out of escape from Pharaoh's power. Jesus stretched his hands on the cross. And guess what? The moment his hands were stretched remember something happened in the temple the temple veil which covered men from entering was torn into two from top to bottom a way was made we call that a new and living way Israel crossed through now we have crossed through into God's presence and when they crossed the power of Egypt was also coming through and the seas covered them and that day all Pharaoh and his generation died that day Egypt's power over Israel was completely broken. In the cross of Jesus, sin's power was completely broken. So when he gave the announcement, the Egyptians you see today, you will see no more. Sin's power, sin's dominion, which you saw today, you will see no more. That is what the Bible says, that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are set free from, from sin, and sin shall have no dominion over your life. Why did God take Israel through the wilderness? Because from um, Egypt to the promised land was only 11 days journey. You can, you can go and read your Bible. It was only an 11 days journey. Why did God take them through the wilderness? He took them through the wilderness according to Deuteronomy 8, the verse 1 to 5, to discipline them, chastise them, to teach them what it means to be humble, to prepare them for the promised land. So that was how Israel was supposed to grow. The reason why you got born again and God did not just snatch you into heaven was because he has to take you through the wilderness period so you can mature and be prepared for eternity. So all the life problems you're going through, all the, the people, the, the difficult people you have in your life, all these systems that you're going through are a wilderness experience God is giving you as a platform to be disciplined as a Christian so you can be prepared for eternity. Are you seeing this thing at all? So you remember when Israel entered the promised land, now by their own choices, they entered into a new captivity called what? Babylon. If a believer, after being saved, is not careful about his discipline, he will make wrong choices that may take him back into captivity. This time, it is not by default, it will be by choice. So a believer's wrong choices can land him back into bondage. Oh yes, I've seen Christians who are struggling badly with serious sin issues. Not because God did not set them free. But because of their wrong choices. They chose to watch things God did not subscribe for them. And by their choice, they enter into bondage. And how did Israel come out? They call on God. How do you come out? You call on Jesus. To help you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So do you remember when Israel entered into the promised land? God said to them that the inhabitants of that land are not just the Canaanites. They are Jebusites. They are Hittites. Amorites. All these people are there. So God warned Israel 
to be careful about mingling with them. If you read Numbers chapter 33, the verse 55, I'm sure it's there. Numbers 33, the verse 55. Look, look at God's warning to them. He says, but if you will not drive out the inhabitants. Now, remember, remember, this is good. This is good. In the setting free of Israel from Egypt, it was God's work. In the driving out of the inhabitants in that land, it was their responsibility. That's what the Bible says. Mortify the deeds of the body. That's your job. Flee. That's your job. Avoid. That's your job. Kill. That's your job. So he says, but if you will not drive, so this is a choice, if you will not drive the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain, there are things, there are wrong thoughts, there are wrong foundations, there are some videos, if you let them remain as a Christian in your life, he says, when you let them reign, when you let them remain of them, he says, they shall be what? Bricks in your eyes and tongues in your sides, and they shall vex you in the land where thou dwell in. Hmm. So that was God's warning. He said, The land you are entering in does not mean that because you have entered that land, you are completely free. There are enemies in the land, they may seem to be friends. Israel did not obey, they got married to these foreign nations. And what happened was that now they began to worship their gods. They began to offer human sacrifices to these gods. And guess what? It brought Israel into bondage. It's the same with the church. If we don't by choice decide to put disciplines in our way to walk purified lives, I am telling you, you'll be ruined by this world. As far as God is concerned, the Christian has three enemies. The first enemy, unfortunately, is within you. It's called the flesh. The second enemy is called the world. The third enemy is called the devil. He calls him your adversary. So, God has given us a responsibility. When it comes to the flesh, he says, mortify it. He says, make no provision for it. When it comes to the world, he says, do not love it. When it comes to the devil, he says, resist him. So God has given us solutions on how to handle it. If a Christian does not obey God, that Christian will find himself dominated by the last of the eyes, the last of the flesh and the pride of life. Am I helping at all? We said, what is the reason for moral purity? Last week, we began to look at it. We said the first reason for moral purity, number one, is impurity and uncleanness grieves the Lord. The reason why God wants us to walk in purity as Christians. And like we've always been saying in our studies and lecture, we said purity is mainly, mainly in the area of what? Sexuality. In as much as the Christian has been cleansed by Jesus Christ, the Christian can still defile himself. And this time, that defilement is not a defilement of his spirit. 
but it can be a defilement of his soul. How do I know these things I'm sharing with you? Scripture tells us in James chapter 1, the verse 21. The Bible says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So remember when you get born again, it is not your soul that got born again. It was not your body that got born again. It was your spirit man that got born again. So when you get born again, your spirit man is saved. Your soul is not instantly saved because your soul has got to do with the makeup of your mind, your will, and your emotion. Your mind is still unrenewed. That's like all the battles you had is still existing when you get born again. Your soul is the makeup of your will and your emotions. Your, your emotions are still there. So if you are emotional, easily offended before you got born again, it will not change because you are born again. And the Bible is saying, wherefore lay apart, this is a responsibility of the believer. I can show you thousands of New Testament responsibilities that we are not obeying. He says, lay apart all filthiness. That means if the believer allows, there will be filth in his soul. And not superfluity of naughtiness. Every believer has naughtiness in his soul. If you don't receive with meekness, the ingratitude word of God, that naughtiness in your soul will come alive. That filth in your soul will come alive. He says, and receive with meekness. There is a way we receive the word of God. How? With meekness, humility. We receive it as a word that will save our soul. I'm teaching good here. So, we said, number one, it grieves the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4, the verse 30. I've explained to you three things a man can do to the Holy Spirit. Number one, you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If you read New Testament theology very carefully, you realize that every believer has escaped the wrath of God. God cannot be angry with the believer. The believer has escaped the wrath of God. Am I teaching you systematically at all? Are you getting this thing? All right, come to First Thessalonians chapter 1, the verse 10. See verses for yourself. Now, the Bible says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, which did what? Delivered us from the wrath to come. So the believer has been delivered from the wrath of God. Are you following this at all? Now, look at the next verse. Second, um, no, First Thessalonians chapter 5, the verse 9. First Thessalonians 5, the verse 9. Now look, he says, For God has not appointed us unto what? Wrath, but to what? Obtain salvation. So the believers has escaped the wrath of God. Romans chapter 5, Now, come to the verse 9. He says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? Wrath through him. So Jesus is our escape from wrath. But that does not end there. You know, I always want to teach you balance. So you don't take one revelation to the extreme to destroy your spiritual life. In as much as 
God cannot wrath the believer. The believer can grieve God. God can be disappointed in you as a believer. So we said there are three things a believer can do to the Holy Spirit. Number one, you can grieve him. Ephesians chapter 4, the verse 30. He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are called unto the day of redemption. So the believer can grieve the Holy Spirit by his actions. The word grieve means mental torture, to cause pain, to cause sorrow, to sadden. So the Holy Ghost can be in you yet saddened. I pray if you are so discerning, you will not ever imagine grieving the Holy Spirit. May you not grieve the Holy Spirit. Number two, you can resist the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7 verse 51. You can resist the Holy Spirit. Now, he says, ye stiff-necked people and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now, in context, he was speaking to stubbornness. So he says, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Now, to grieve the Holy Spirit is to grieve his person. To resist the Holy Spirit is to resist his work in you by your stubbornness. Then, number three, you can quench the spirit. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, quench not the spirit. Now, the word quench means to extinguish. If fire is burning, you take an extinguisher and, and just press it. The fire goes out. The believer can quench the spirit. When you quench the spirit, it means you, you extinguish the spirit's influence through you to bless others. Now, watch the sequence. Grieving the Holy Ghost affects who? The person of the Holy Spirit. Resisting means the person is doing something, but you don't allow him. So, when you resist the Holy Spirit, you affect what? His work in your life. When you quench the Spirit, it means the Spirit has gifts he wants to manifest through you to bless people. When you quench the Spirit, others cannot be blessed. This means when you hurt the Holy Spirit, not only does it affect God, it affects others and affects you personally. So we said, when a believer walks in moral impurity, that believer will grieve the Lord. If you are entertained last in your heart, you will grieve him. Number two, we said second reason why we should maintain moral purity is because it drags God's sacred name into the mud. Please go and get the message. You give God's grace and love a bad name. Are these not the people who say they are Christians? Look at what they are doing. I think we who are worshipping idols are even better. Look at that. You just give God a bad name. Immature Christians don't care about the name of God. But a growing Christian will always be concerned about God's name. I am concerned about God's name. The reason why immature Christians are not concerned about God's name is because they are selfish. We have read so many scriptures just, uh, last week. Number three, we said the third reason why you should maintain moral purity is because one day you're going to look at the face of Jesus to give an account of your actions. Everybody will give an account of what he did in his body. 
There's a difference between the judgment of the believer and the judgment of the unbeliever. They are not the same. People say God will call all Christians, non-Christians, they'll scatter us together and they'll be picking us one one and they say, check, check, check what you have done. Check what you have done in the screen. Everybody's shaking and moving on themselves. Hey, hey, hey. We need to understand scripture. We can never be mingled together because we are not the same. Having to read the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. We can't be yoked together. The believer's judgment is different from the unbeliever. The judgment of the unbeliever is for condemnation. It is to condemn him for refusing to believe Jesus. The judgment of the believer is for commendation or praises. It's for reward. So the judgment of the unbeliever is to determine the degree of his punishment. The judgment of the believer is to determine the degree of his rewards. So if imagine you keep living in immorality as a believer, constantly, you just don't care about your actions. Your conscience does not prick you. The Holy Spirit warns you several times you, you choose to disobey him. You will face Jesus to give an account of what you did with your body because your body does not belong to you. That's what scripture teaches. It is not yours. It's not yours. And if you read the book of Galatians chapter 5 from the verse 19 to 20, the Bible lists all the works of the flesh. It says those who practice, that means it is something you do deliberately. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He didn't say they will not go to heaven. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we need to understand three things about the kingdom. If you read John chapter 3, the verse 5, the verse 3 to 3, you are going to realize that he says, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom. So there is something called seeing the kingdom. Look at the next verse. He says, Nicodemus, come to the verse 5. He says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot what? Enter the kingdom. Then Galatians 5 speaks of what? Inheriting the kingdom. So there is seeing the kingdom, there is entering the kingdom, and there is inheriting the kingdom. When the gospel is preached to you, it gives you a picture of God's kingdom. How it looks. Wow, so this is how God's kingdom looks. Your eyes are enlightened to see the kingdom. When you believe the gospel, you enter the kingdom. When you leave the gospel, you inherit the kingdom. So to inherit means all the treasures got rat. You, be, you begin to be a shareholder. You begin to share in that reality. If a believer exposes himself constantly to sin, like I'm telling you, can you imagine you, you keep smoking and your lungs are destroyed and, and meanwhile God has said that you're going to be an outlet through which is going to bless many nations. When you have kidney problem, can you bless many nations? You can't. You, you could not inherit that kingdom. So you hear people say, when a believer does this, that means he's going to hell. No, 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 no. Don't get it wrong. And people are going to insult us because they, they'll say, okay, are you saying that when the believer does this, he will not go to heaven? Listen, let's go to scripture. Scripture, let scripture talk. If a man has believed Jesus Christ, Holy Ghost baptized, that believer is born again. He cannot be unborn. Because if a physical human being cannot be born, born again, a spiritual believer cannot be unborn or born, born, born again. 
because the life that he has is eternal life. He cannot receive on eternal life. Remember, when Israel crossed from Egypt into the other side, the sea covered. That means if you wanted to go back to Egypt, it was impossible. The Bible says we have crossed from death. They were in death, Egypt, to life. The way it is an impossibility for, it, for Israel to go back there, it is an impossibility for the Christian who has received eternal life to go back into a place of spiritual death. The believer has a major problem. His problem is that he can't die. For this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whosoever has the son. The question is that do you have the son? If you have the son, the Bible says you have life. So, you see, that was the only issue. Listen, if I give birth to my son, my son's actions does not change his identity as my son. My son can be a bad boy, but my blood is still in him. I cannot say, because you are stealing, come back. The mother will squeeze him back into a sperm. Put him back under a private part. Release the sperm and say, daddy, you are here. It's not possible. So the mistake the mother did was to have sex. The mistake God did was to bring Jesus. No, this matter is a serious matter because many don't know what it means to be saved. So they have placed salvation on doing good, place salvation on paying tithe, pay salvation. No, anytime you place something on salvation, that is not the blood of Jesus. It is not salvation. Are we making light of sin? No, we are making light of Christ. We are making you see what Jesus has done and that's what the church is not preaching again. Imagine we all go to heaven and we all line up and ask you, how did you get here? I came here because I was coming to church. They clap for you. How did you get here? I came here because I was paying my tithe. How did you get here? I came here because I never sinned. How did you get here? I came here because I did not fire. Guess what? That means that everybody came to heaven with a peculiar reason other than Jesus. What happens to Jesus? Jesus becomes useless in heaven. Because there are other ways. But if we get to heaven, how did you come? The blood of Jesus. How did you get there? The blood of Jesus. How? The blood of Jesus. Who gets the glory? Jesus. He takes all the fans. Mm. that's how we get born again so guess what the salvation and the maintenance of his heart maintenance of that salvation has never been on you in Jude 1 verse 24 he said it is God that is able to keep you from falling and the amazing thing is that in Hebrews chapter 2 the verse 9 and 10 the Bible calls Jesus the captain of our salvation do you know what it means? If you are playing soccer and you put a captain's band on someone, it means that that person should ensure you win the trophy. If you are in a ship and you put a captain in the ship, you are saying that the captain should make sure that everybody is safe on that flight or, or that ship. I watched a movie on a captain who had a crew 
and they were attacked in the ship. The captain was so effective, so loyal to his crew that he made sure all of them escaped whilst the ship was burning because he was the true leader. He was the last person to leave the ship because he knew crew members have been committed to him. Listen, there is a crew. In fact, we are crew members. Christ is the captain. And if you are in Christ Jesus, I am telling you, I am telling you, your safety is assured. But your reward is not. <laughs> so why? Why? If, 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 if we are avoiding sin, you know, some of you are avoiding sin because you fear hell. That's the wrong motivation. That means the day hell is removed. So the focus on you not sinning is not Jesus. It's not because you love him. It's because you fear. You fear hell. That Christian is not matured. We avoid flee sin because we love Jesus. Number one, because we fear Jesus. We fear him. That we will vow to ourselves that Jesus will make your blood count. We will not insult your blood. We won't. We won't. We will pray. We will pray. We will pray. We will pray. We will fast. We will live righteously because we love him. We want to appear before him and then he will say, well done. Listen, the hell of the believer is that you appear before Jesus in shame. Are you getting this thing? Number four, the fourth reason why moral purity must be maintained. For following the footsteps of those who impurity forfeited and crippled their ministries. The moment we allow moral impurity into our lives, that means we are following the same example of those who, whose ministries were crippled and forfeited because of impurity. That means you are not wise as a Christian. Look at what happened to Samson. Last has always never ended well. Impurity, uncleanness has never ended well. In the life of everybody, anybody in scripture. You may do it in hiding, but it won't end well. That means you are following the same example. Now look at people like Samson. Look at David, a great king. Just fell and almost lost his kingdom just like that. Look at Amnon. Slept with his own sister. Look how it ended. He died. I told you of one young man who was helping clean one rich man's house and one time he was there, the daughter was there, nobody was in the house. He raped the rich man's daughter. He, he had gotten born again just less than one month. Fresh fire. The rich man made sure that this guy pays for it. He was jailed for 30 years for a three minutes experience. So do you see, last will always force you to take, hey, do it. It's nice. You're going to get good time, you know. That's our last is. It will give you a picture of the greatness, the enjoyment, the pleasure. That's our last is. It has never ended well. Look at something, such an anointed person. 
This was a something that took a whole gate. Those time gates were wide, long, thick, heavy. He took a whole gate. And one small lady. Oh, you don't know this thing. Any lady who is not your wife or somebody you intend to marry is fire you are playing with. Okay. Before I was prophesied to that I was going to be a prophet, at that time I, I had seen, in fact, the man who prophesied I'm going to be a prophet has backslidden in ministry. You won't believe it. He started sleeping with his choristers, a very gifted man. I can't mention his name. Highly gifted man. This man can sing, he can prophesy, he can preach, he can teach. Tell me anything about ministry this man can do. And he followed this gift. Oh, every single day, different women. He slept with all his choristers. Started sleeping with grown up women and people who are grown enough to be his mother. He's lost out of ministry. Lost. When I saw this thing, I said, hey, I went to God because I had other cases of how prophets have corrupted their ministries. There was one great prophet in Kumasi who was commanding 5,000 people when he was doing fellowship meetings. He started sleeping with women. Now he has relocated because the disgrace is too much. This one will come. Uh, uh, that's your son. Oh. <laughs> Out of fear and embarrassment, he ran away. Look at what last does. I cried to God and said, God, please let it not be said against me that I betrayed you in that way. Lord, help me. So I told God that the lady I will ever propose in my life should be the lady I will ever marry. That's me. I'm telling you. It is only my wife that has seen my nakedness. It's only my wife that has seen me romantic with it. It's only my wife. She broke my virginity. There is no lady on this planet that will ever come and stand and say, hey, you were communicating some things with me. No. I can boldly say it anywhere because I'm not afraid. Now ask somebody, are you afraid? <laughs> Alright, let's move on. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> it's getting hot. Let's move on. <laughs> the atmosphere is just moving. It's shifting. <laughs> we don't beg here. Let's continue. Let's, let's move. Let's, let's focus. Let's focus on our Bibles. Let's move. Hey, I'm crossing over. Amen? Alright. So, number five. I've just respected you. I, I just want to cross over because someone looked at me in a certain way. That if I don't close the service, there'll be trouble. So, let's move on. Number five. Number five, destroying your example, integrity, and credibility. 
destroying your example, integrity, and what? Credibility. Titus 2 7. He says, and in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. The word pattern is an example of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptedness, gravity, and sincerity. So, the Bible is telling us that in all things, not some things, in all things, we should so, show ourselves as examples of good works. If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, you're going to see another interesting <coughs> He said, abstain from all appearance of evil. This is referring to the Christian. Why? Because moral impurity will destroy your example, integrity, and credibility. You will never be bold to talk on immorality if you are immoral. There are churches today, they can't talk about it. The pastor will not dare because he has cleared three choristers already. So which confidence will you get? The moment he wants to talk about it, meanwhile, there'll be times, listen, if you're a man of God, there'll be times God will lay certain messages upon your heart to preach to certain people in the church. So imagine the Holy Spirit in the prophetic calendar of the church wants to preach a particular message you're not practicing, a message you're not confident about. How will you preach it? Because you're a bad example in that area. There are some of you, when we are to go to evangelism in your area, you will not follow us. You won't follow us because you're a bad example. And this is a serious matter. The reason why I can talk about it eh, is because you know why I'm talking about it. So you destroy your example, your integrity. You will not be confident talking about certain things again. No, you won't. Number seven. Reasons for moral purity is because it beautifies and adorns the doctrine of God and makes Jesus attractive. It beautifies and adorns the doctrine of God and makes Jesus attractive. Moral purity beautifies and adorns the doctrine of God and makes Jesus attractive. Titus chapter 2, the verse 1 in NLT version. Let me give you some few verses. Let's go there. He says, as for you, Timothy, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. That means wholesome teaching should bet wholesome living. He's saying promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. I'll explain that. Let's move on. Philippians chapter 2, the verse 15. Philippians 2, 15, the same NLT. Same NLT. He says, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Amazing. Uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, NLT. All of them in NLT. Look, he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So your life must be worthy of the gospel. Next verse. First Timothy 
No, come to Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Titus 2, 5. Titus 2, 5. He says, to live wisely and pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word, on the word of God. Amazing. You can bring shame on the word of God. That word, word there is actually doctrine of God. Let me finish that verse before I explain. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the verse 1, NLT. 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, never give up. The verse 2. He says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. This apostle Paul, the apostle of grace. Final scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 2, the verse 10. You can give that to me in KJV. Now look, he says, ye are witnesses and God also how holily and justly and what? Unblameably, we did what? We behaved ourselves among you that believe. So there are two things you do to the gospel. You believe it, number one. Number two, you behave it. So, if you read Titus chapter 2, the verse 5 again in KJV, it makes it more deeper. He says, Be discreet, just keep us at home, good, obedient to your own husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Listen, if we want to make our doctrine attractive, we must be pure. Because Doctrine without conduct is like walking on one leg. If you can teach the whole counsel of truth in New Testament and your life is not proving it, you are fake. Next year, I'm going to be teaching you Christian maturity. And you'll be shocked because we need to understand Christian maturity in three lights. Number one is what we call doctrinal maturity. Number two is what we call ministry maturity. And number three is what we call character maturity. Before a man can be called a matured man, he must be matured in these three areas. Doctrinal maturity, what? Ministry maturity and what? Character maturity. There are people who are mature when it comes to doctrine. They can explain every reality about salvation, redemption, the finished work of Jesus Christ. They can tell you about holiness, tell you everything doctrinal. They are mature people. But guess what? They don't have ministry maturity. They don't know how to go out for evangelism. They don't know how to deal with Christians. They lack ministry maturity. So there are people also who have ministry maturity. They know how to win souls. They know how to go for missions. They understand this thing called ministry. They have the maturity. Yet they are doctrinally, doctrinally imbalanced. And there are those who have doctrinal maturity, but they don't have character maturity. So they can tell you about doctrine. They can't prove it by character. So character-wise, they are immature. If you want to become a mature Christian, your maturity must be expressed doctrinally, morally, and ministrily. So, 
is where maturity is found in. We must be firm in doctrine. Firm in the maturity of ministry. We can do ministry. And firm character. Character is the crown of Christianity. No matter what you know about God, if I cannot see it reflecting your character, it will be hard for an unbeliever to believe you. next point, next reason why you should maintain moral purity is because it brings moral impurity brings pleasure, great pleasure to the devil it gives Satan a place in your life the devil is excited when you are morally impure you can be talking about every New Testament truth, when he knows you are impure, it doesn't move him and this is a truth that many believers don't know I want to teach you this thing the place that Satan can have over the believer are the places the believer willingly submits to him. Or we can put it this way. It is the place you give Satan that becomes the platform where he exercises authority over you. It is the place you give Satan that becomes the platform where he exercises authority over you. Some of these things I'm teaching, you will not hear them being taught. If you listen to me carefully, you will be fine as a Christian. So living in immorality can pave way for the devil to rule over you. You can read John chapter 14, the verse 30. You will be shocked that Jesus said this thing about himself. He says, hereafter I will not talk with you much. For the prince of this world cometh and had nothing in me. Other person says, has no hold. So if Satan finds an advantage in you, you have given him a place to rule your life. If he finds that you have given yourself to pornography, you have given him a rightful place where he can be able to reign in your life. I'm teaching good. So, moral impurity is an advantage of the devil. It's a great advantage you give him. That's the time we keep teaching that purity must be seen in what? Your thoughts. Which means the believer must be strict in what comes here. Because what you see with your eyes is what the brain processes. The process. Your heart, your conversations, your, your talks with friends. It must be kept pure. That, see, purity must be a discipline. You must discipline yourself in the area of purity. If you're a Christian, there are some movies, like I said, always, I keep saying it. There are some movies, when you, post, when you start watching them, they will corrupt you. And many Christians are not strict with those convictions. There are some CC movies, as a Christian, decide you will never watch them. And when you do that, it's not that you're putting yourself under law. No! We are warned of the influences of this world, how they can affect us as Christians. 
Because don't just think you watched the movie. No. You did not watch a movie. Do you think some of these movies, these people who act these movies, you think some of the scenes they show, you think it's by themselves? The enemy is designing things, technologies through their movies to capture believers to walk in immorality. Because if you're a Christian, you walk in immorality, you are powerless. You are powerless as a Christian. I'm telling you. There's one guy, I heard of one guy who's preaching grace. He says, hey, it doesn't matter what, matter what a Christian does. No matter what he does, he's still saved. He can still experience the power of God. He says, if you like, bring me a woman. I'll sleep with her after three days. Organize a three-day program. You will see power. When I heard I put my hand on my head. I said, we don't finish here. We don't finish here. I heard the prophet tell another prophet that when he sleeps with ladies, that's when the anointing increases. Then I knew it was a familiar spirit he was using to operate. And that prophet can prophesy. We can't change the Bible. A man of God, I, I heard was saying that you cannot fully be a man of God to do ministry and not cheat on your wife. You won't believe what I'm telling you. So now, young people will go to some of these people as fathers and this is what they are taught and this is the person laying hands on you as daddy. There are some spiritual fathers, among your spiritual daughters are on very own. So those daddies are not daddies. Daddy, 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 daddy. If someone calls you papa or daddy, do you know what it means? Hey! Oh, a lot of people don't fear God again. It is a stewardship. That name on you itself is a stewardship. That God has borrowed you his name. Hey! Some of them are older than you. Some of them are almost the same age with you and they are calling you Papa. You don't fear. You don't fear. Mm. Chai. I fear God though. I am telling you, I fear God too much. Let's finish this thing. next point reasons for moral purity is that you can easily contract both sexual and spiritual diseases when I say spiritual disease it can be emotional it can be some wrong bondings that will be with you for the rest of your life you know you find a lot of ladies who are more hurt more hurt when they leave a relationship they've had sex in a relationship they have more hurt because of the bond they created in sex so they feel cheated they feel ah why did you do this to me all these things are caused by these things if we say we, are, we want to see how far they think can go and they think it didn't go well and then do you feel anything yeah But you see, I told you last time that there is something 
Listen, Paul was so careful, he didn't want to give explanations, but he made a profound statement about immorality. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the verse 13, and look at what Paul said. So because Paul did not move further, we can't also move further. Look, he said, meat for the belly and the belly for meat, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication. He's telling you the function of the body. Fornication is not part of them. Now, I'm sure some of you will be like, this is Paul who is speaking. It is Jesus speaking through Paul. That's why it's the word of God. He says the body is not. So he's telling you what the body is for. If, if you buy a remote or you buy a watch and they tell you this watch should not be put in water. If you buy a drug and they tell you this drug should be put in a very cool environment. If you buy something and they give you instructions, it's telling you to go away from that instruction will bring problems to that product. God is teaching us the use and the function of our body. He's saying fornication is not part of the spec of the believer's body. That means the moment you start engaging in it, you start getting problems for yourself. So he says the body is not for fornication. But for who? The Lord and the Lord for the body. This is a serious matter. Look at the next verse. He says, and God had both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Next verse. Know ye not that your bodies are what? Now, Jesus. Your body is a member of Christ. This is your physical body. It is part of Christ. I thought the Bible is saying our spirit is a member. He says, your body is a member of Christ. Shall I then take Hey, so you can take your body. The members of Christ. He didn't call it your body again. He says, shall I take the members of Christ? L- listen, whatever you're doing with your body is what you're doing with the member of Christ. Your body is a part of Christ. Because he's the head and the church is his body. So what you do with your body is part of the body. And Christ is part. So it is actually what you're doing with Christ. You are saying this is what Jesus is actually doing. He's saying, how then shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. Oh, I have heard of Christians who sleep with prostitutes. Why? Because they couldn't stand it. And they are making a girlfriend. Let me find a prostitute. No one will see. There are Christians who come to church and they sleep with prostitutes. You won't believe what I'm telling you. And everybody is quiet. And we don't think that damages some of these things can cost. They are men who can, young guys, 18 years, 20 years old boy, you are starting to sleep with prostitutes. You don't know what, you don't know. You don't know. Let's read further. He says, make them the members of an harlot. Then he says, God forbid. Now, look at the next verse. What shall, he says, know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body. For the two, said he, shall be what? One flesh. Read the next verse. He says, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Next verse. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committed fornication sinned against his own body. Next verse. What know ye not that your body is the what? The temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you and ye which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Your body is not for you. 
before then he says that when you take this body and then you engage in a sexual activity outside of marriage he says you have become one with that person now let me give you an example so you know the damages people are doing to themselves when you take two papers and put glue very tight glue and you put them together now when you try separating them is it easy do you know you have to force it to separate it and at times a part of one paper goes to one a part of another goes to one that's what happens when you join yourself to somebody you're not married to so a part of that person is in you you carry it so the next person you sleep with a part of that person is in you you move to another person a part of that person is in you that's what the bible is teaching never ever said it was just sex. Write this down. Sex is not just sex. There is nothing that like it was just sex and we went away. You never went away. You, you, you are together. You are one with that person. Forever. As long as you are still living in this body, you are one. Maybe this is just by the way. I was talking to a prophet friend. He's into full time now. He was doing Uber business before he entered into full time. Give me some volume. I'm struggling. He said one day he was decided to do some night night work, and one time he he picked up one lady, very beautiful lady. You may not believe what I'm going to tell you, but it's true. Very beautiful lady. And when the lady sat in the car, the lady was angry because my prophet prays. My prophet friend prays a lot. So the lady said, so you, why did you make me come and sit in your car? And the lady was insulting him. So he didn't understand. On their way going, and he started to engage in the conversation. You know what he said? She said she's not a human being. She's from the sea. So he said because the lady was angry, he was suspecting that he wanted to scare him. So he just laughed. Then he said, you don't believe me. I'm not a human being. Actually, I went for an operation. Our time is up and I've delayed. And the queen mother was expecting us. So I have to quickly go back. So he says, you have to drive me to the sea. So now, as he was holding the seat, <laughs> he was praying his heart. We'll be watching the lady. Then we drive him watching the lady so he said okay just to release the tension he wants to ask the lady question because if he if he asks questions maybe the lady will not know how to continue so he said what have you been coming to on earth to do on earth he said every friday it's a group of us we come to the earth we go around looking for people to sleep with now listen carefully this is a serious matter he said we normally target young men as for the old sugar daddies they are not a problem is the young man. If we're able to get just one young man to sleep with, there's something we deposit in that man and any lady that young man sleeps with from then, from there, that lady will be affected spiritually and she'll be initiated. Now, I'm not saying this about to advertise the kingdom of darkness. I'm just telling you the context here is impurity, talking of immorality. But I just had to add it to it. Okay? Good. So I'm not doing advert for kingdom of darkness here. 
or for the occult grandmaster. No. But what he told me just some few weeks ago, I was alarmed. I, I couldn't believe him. So he says they come every Friday to, to come to town. And they'll make sure that they'll be in the universities. They are everywhere. And this time they'll bring themselves to you. So if you're a young man here, you've gotten free Lapopo twice. You had me for free. And you thought, oh, Charlie, I've gotten some loose girl. Please. Please. No wonder the Bible was warning us to flee because of all this problem. And he was telling him other things. I don't want to advertise the devil, so I won't continue with the rest. So he said he was going to monitor this girl. When the girl got down from the car, she was, she was running to the sea. So he got down from the car and went to hide. He said the girl entered the sea. He said, no, this one is a lie. She'll come back. She'll come out again. When the girl entered the sea, she vanished inside the sea. And the guy shouted, yay! There were other men there who stay, the boys who smoke and stay and say, He said, ah, who's wrong? I'm about to have a That's their job. So it is something that has been going on. Anybody who operates in this, who, who the fishermen, they see them. So Friday will come in a group, then they just come out from the sea. When they are done, they all run back. So it was a normal thing. So they were just watching them. That's where you're going. He said, oh, I'm about to be here. I said, Charlie. So imagine a young Christian guy. Hey. I was told of an account where one Christian lady went for a very huge program that is done here in Ghana by one of the biggest churches in Ghana. Huge program. They don't do it in the auditorium. When she was done with the program, she was going. She needed a lift. And then one of the members or one who attended the program was going and said, actually, he's a member there. So let me just drop. He said, I'm okay. I said, let me first let me drop you. Went to drop her. Before I realized they became friends, they moved out for some time. And then they got married after one year. After one year, they can't give birth. So one time, there was a particular room in the place where the, the guy, the guy is extremely rich. Extremely, extremely, extremely rich. Apparently. This guy is part of an occult. And then he has become extremely rich. And part of the rules is that he should never have a child. So he donated his spermatozoa forever. And the lady did not know. And she was actually now in trouble because she was saying that she thought the man could have Let me see my words. The long and short of what I'm saying is that you have to be very careful of your choices. 
especially what your brain, your mind, your feelings is telling you to do. If it is not godly, run. Now, the reason why I'm so confident teaching some of these things is because I am receiving a lot of feedbacks of people who are having addictions broken just like that by just listening to the teachings. Broken just like that. And I realized that a lot of Christians are battling in this area because people have not taught it in the right New Testament context. You will have problems when you are a loose believer, especially in the area of sexuality. And if there's any area to develop what we call boundary, it is in the area of sexuality. Let's finish this thing. The next point. The reason why God wants moral purity is that moral impurity does not look good on the believer. It doesn't look good on you. And fatal. Ephesians 5, the verse 3, NLT version. And fatal. Look. Ephesians 5, 3, NLT. Uh, who is there? He says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Now, if you read that in KJV, now look at KJV. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not once be named. Let it not be one hint that this guy went to do this to this lady. It shouldn't be made known. It shouldn't be something that's even placed on you as a mark. I should become saints. So it doesn't look good on us. Let's finish it. Next point. It will turn your heart away from the Lord. Yeah, I know I've taught for long, but you're still enjoying it, right? All right. You're going to finish very soon. First Kings chapter 11, the verse 1 to 9. When you go, you can go and read it. 1 John chapter 5, the verse 21. You can go and read that. Last point. It affects your experience of God. Because of sin's defiling power. It affects your experience of God. Alright, so let's do this in five minutes. Catalyst of purity. Some of the healthy practices that promotes purity. Catalyst of purity. Let's do it quickly. Number one, we call it the grace factor. Grace factor. If you want to live a morally pure life, these are some few things that will help you. Number one is the grace factor. Learn to run to Jesus Christ constantly and cry to him. Never be confident in yourself as a Christian. Ha! There is nobody who has ever dealt with an addiction or anything morally impure by his own strength. It's not possible. You don't know what I'm talking about. And mind you, whatever I'm teaching is something that I have experienced before. I told you that I was, I was once also hooked by pornography. 
I was hooked by masturbation. That's why I'm teaching this thing because the Lord set me free. And he didn't set me free just because I was resting in his grace. There are technicalities. The first point is the grace factor. You can never come out of anything without the grace of God. You have to learn to go to Jesus for help every single time. In fact, when you, before you leave your house, in prayer, you say, God, I cannot live pure by myself. Help me throughout the day. I depend on your grace. That's the first factor. You got right, grace factor. Jesus says in John chapter 15, the verse 7, he says, without me, you can do nothing. And when the Bible says nothing, believe you me, nothing. You have to constantly depend on God's grace. That's the first foundation. And Lord, I don't know why I still have that desire to watch this movie, this pornography. Lord, please help me. Without you, I can't do nothing. You must cry to God and ask him for help. Are you following this thing? Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 23. Romans 7. He says, but I see another law working in my mom. Okay, come to the verse 24. Okay, the verse 25. Alright, so Romans 7, 25. I thank God through through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Jesus is the only one that can deliver you from him. From impurity. First Corinthians 15 56. First Corinthians 15 56. He says, The thing of that is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Uh huh. The verse 57. He says, But thanks be to what? God, which gives us, gives us victory to what? Jesus Christ. So, victory in Christianity is dependent on Jesus, through Jesus. Constantly depend on His grace. The Bible says, not by power, but not by might, but by my spirit. That's why God gave you the Holy Spirit as your helper. So you constantly depend on him as your help. And guess what? As you journey in the way of perfection, you will make mistakes. So what I'm teaching is not something to say that it will never happen. So when it happens, you start condemning yourself. No. In that journey, you will make some mistakes serious times will come you may fail when you fail go back to him and say Lord I'm sorry don't pretend nothing happened I'm sorry Lord I lack the strength I need your help Lord help me if you don't help me I can't do this thing Lord please help me so, somebody say please help me Lord help this mortar Once you depend on the grace of God, I'm not saying just say, oh, uh, thank you, Father, for your grace. Then that means you go back, pretend as if nothing happened. That's what I'm talking about. A remorseful dependence when you fail. You are conscious of the fact that you didn't please God in this area. So you're grieving. You know, um, if you read Romans chapter 2, the verse 4, the Bible says, uh, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. But I, I discovered, like I told you, I have read the New Testament cover to cover. It was then when I said, God, teach me the full counsel of grace. I was on a fast when I started doing that. And God started to open my eyes. And I realized that people don't preach the full truth about grace. That's why people are failing. It is not only the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. If you read scripture carefully, godly sorrow also leads us to repentance. 
Second Corinthians chapter 7, the verse 8 to 10. You're going to see that clear. So it's not only the love of God that leads you to repentance. There are times grief, sorrow, that you grieve God is also one of the factors that contributes you to repent. He says, for though I've made you sorry with, with the letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle had made you sorry. Though it were but for a season. Next verse. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed unto what? Repentance. For ye were made sorry after what? A godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Next verse. He says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world who worketh death. Godly sorrow. There is a sorrow the Holy Ghost will allow to work in your life anytime you fall into sin. And the purpose of that is to help you run back to God as a child. When a child poops on himself, the child does not run away pretend as if nothing happens. He comes to mommy crying, giving mommy information that there is poopoo, poopoo, help me. I can't change the diaper, help me. That's how you must behave in your relationship with God. There are times I have to, I have to, I have to cry to him. Now, Lord, help me. Without you, I can do nothing. Number two is what we call accountability. I'm finishing soon. And accountability is a discipline. So you must have somebody you are accountable to, especially in your moral life. If you are married or you are in a healthy relationship, both of you can be accountable to each other. You must be able to tell a partner, hey, anytime you realize that a bestial nature wants to come out of me and I forget myself and I want to do something I'm not supposed to do, please shut me down. It is part. It is part of accountability. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm telling you, your time is going to come in a relationship. You will feel, you will feel, you will feel. Tell somebody you will feel. There were times when I see my wife in a dress, I want to carry her to the bush. You don't, you don't understand this thing. Times my skin touches her skin, I was like, it's Jesus. <laughs> Father, into the hands I commit my spirit. Oh, you don't know this thing. And I'm telling you, it was my wife that helped me. Yeah. So, this thing you are talking about, there is something called accountability. Hold both of yourselves accountable. If you are married, you and your wife must hold yourself accountable. After 9.30, if it's not a matter of life and death, I'm not supposed to be talking to any lady. And there was a time I had to have, have a discussion with another lady. I asked my wife for permission. Is it necessary? It is not necessary. But that is the boundary. That is the accountability. That, that's, we have decided to be accountable to each other. Someone will say, oh, I didn't change now. So, hey, I didn't change in it. You, come, you are loose. I'm not loose. I asked permission for my wife. She said, you can't talk. 
and we're talking. And she was there. Are you following this thing? So you must be accountable. Listen, you must have people over you that you must be able to discuss your temptations with them. Some of you can be somebody you respect as a father. Tell him that Charlie, for some time, it looks like your feelings have changed you. I don't know what is wrong with me. Please, can you help me in prayer? One of my sons in ministry, he's from he's his own church. That's the time he called me. That telling something is happening to him. He wants to do something. No, I'm telling you, it was a serious matter. I helped him out. So you have to. There are sometimes when you discuss with somebody higher than you, all of a sudden, something releases from you. Are you following this thing? But it's not everybody you discuss it with. Who. You don't talk to people below you in that area. In Namekwando, hey, that, that will be the end of your life. But everybody must be able to have somebody he should be able to share his temptations with. Because I'm telling you, we cannot live by ourselves. So you must be accountable to somebody. Tell somebody you must be accountable to somebody. I have three spiritual fathers. I told my wife, this is, these are their numbers. If you think I'm messing up, call any of them and report me to them. By doing that or by so doing, I've locked myself because of accountability. It has, now when I'm doing, because I know my wife can call any of them when I mess up, it has kept me on the path. Be accountable. If you can discuss with your pastor, discuss with your pastor. If you can discuss with the shepherd, discuss with the shepherd. But when you are coming, come with a clear heart. Because there are some people who discuss their issues on sex like that with you. That means that you cannot talk about sexuality again. As a pastor, one, 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 you can't talk about it again. Because when you talk about it, the person who say you are preaching about him. Because that's, that's my work as a pastor. The day I get afraid of you, I lose my ministry. Paul said that I can never be a servant of Christ if I seek to please men. I will never tell anybody, me, you can trust me. There are, are 90% of things people discuss. My wife is not aware. I don't do that. Someone say, share everything with your wife. No, my wife is a fashion designer. She does not tell me the clients she sews for. She's not come from home and tell me that, oh, I sold for this people. They are doing a wedding. And they said, uh, the measurement is size 24. That's my job. So I don't tell her. Because my job, people's confidentiality are with me. I have to keep it. But discussions on Bible concerning that, I will, pre- I will not use you as an example, but I'll preach it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't come to me. Come to me, oh, come. Come. I can help you. I am telling you, uh, one of the grace God has given me, because God helped me to overcome masturbation and pornography, I can help you. I've helped many people who are not from this church. But the issue is that don't think that by the time you have told me, now I can't teach on that again. No, I hope you're getting it. But you must be accountable. Tell somebody, be accountable to someone. So the men, your girlfriends can help you. If you're unfortunate and your girlfriend is more than you, then... But... <laughs> 
of you hug each other in peace. Is it? Because, you know, it, most of the time, it is the men that can hold it. But sometimes, like, it's good to ban his sir. Or piano, or no. One of my sons had to leave a relationship because the lady was the one who was saying that. So you mean we have been in a relationship for three months and we've not kissed, we've not touched each other, we've not had sex? What kind of relationship is this? And my boy said, we will call him when we teach why. So he ran away. And he called me. I said, it's better you run away because when you do it once, you do it again. Ede. You do it again. Ah, you do it again. Let's, let's continue. <laughs> Third point. Prayer and key spiritual disciplines. Prayer and key spiritual disciplines. If you want to live a morally pure life and you don't pray, forget about it. In Luke chapter 22, the verse 46, Jesus himself warned us. He says that watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. That means a believer who does not have a prayer life, I am telling you, you are already finished to begin with. If you, if, if you are telling somebody of a battle you are going through sexually and you don't pray, I am telling you, you have already failed. That is why prayer must be daily. And in the prayer, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. That means we have to pray constantly that God should not lead us into areas where temptation will grow in our lives. You must have a constant prayer life. How, what does it mean when you pray? You connect to God. The more you connect to God, you disconnect from the world. So Jesus says, pray less you enter. That means the antidote against temptation is prayer. And mind you, I said and other key spiritual disciplines, you must keep studying the word of God. If you are a believer, you want to gain mastery over some of these things, you have to learn to fast. I fast four to five times a week. Four to five times a week when the church is not fasting. It is not my life. That's how I subject the flesh. Because this flesh, it is very powerful. Very powerful. And the spiritual disciplines is what keeps us disciplined. Now, should I close you? Or I should finish it? Because when I'm done today, I won't take it again. Praise God. So, the flesh is such that it must always be disciplined by spiritual disciplines. Fasting and prayer should be part of your life. Don't wait for the church to call it. That's how you live as a Christian. At least every Christian, every normal healthy Christian should fast twice a week. Six to three. Six to two. Or six to six. Do it. It has some damaging effect over the flesh in your life. There's one person I helped. He went for a three days water fast. By the time it was done, masturbation had broken completely from his life. Yeah, I know what I'm saying. So you have to keep those disciplines. Keep those disciplines. Because they keep you. So, you see, when God is telling you do your morning devotion, it is for your own good. So, have a prayer life. Tell somebody, have a prayer life. You must pray. And one of the areas you have to pray about, you write it down, is about your purity. Pray about purity. The Lord in this week, please help me to stay pure. Help me to stay pure. Help me to stay pure. It should be part of your prayer. After your intercession, you have to pray for yourself. Lord, help me to stay pure. Many of you don't pray about that. 
you have to pray about it. Quickly, next point. Memorization of scripture. It is one of the things that will help you. Because whatever you feed grows. Whatever you starve dies. This is a principle. Whatever you feed, that's what grows. Whatever you starve, what dies. Anything you want to grow, keep feeding it. That's like a more pornography will cause more damage. More TV programs, Facebook programs, video programs, that stay up last. It will grow up last for this ass. And whatever you starve, we eventually die. So memorizing of scripture is how we fill our thoughts with the thoughts of God. It must be a discipline. Have a small diary where you write favorite scriptures or scriptures that help you in the area of sexuality. Memorize them. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. You memorize it. How can a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119, the verse 9 to 11. He says that you should keep heed to the word of God. So you must learn to memorize scriptures. Memorize scriptures. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, the verse 27. It's part of the scriptures you must memorize. Look, he says, Can a man can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes shall not be burned? You can't eat your cake and have it back. You can't draw clothes to last and expect to flee in that atmosphere. It's not possible. You memorize this one, meditate on it. Second Timothy 2:22. Memorize it. Mark 9, 42. Memorize it. I'm giving you scriptures you can memorize. Job 31, 1. Let me repeat again. Job 31, 1. Proverbs 6, 27. Mark 9, 24. Ephesians chapter 5, the verse 3 to 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the verse 22. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the verse 3 to 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, the verse 3 to 8. Alright, so let's finish this. Last but not the least, also, yeah. The mind. Be careful what you feed your mind with. Be careful what you feed your mind with. You have to discipline your mind. Don't let anything enter. Be careful of your thoughts because whatever you feed the mind through the eyes, it affects you. I've always been saying that sin does not begin by the act. There is a certain process that begins sin. In James chapter 1 verse 13, James 1 13, the Bible says, let not the man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. The verse 14, he says a man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. So lust first begins before any act of sin is ever committed. That's like nobody says, I don't know what happened to me. No, you knew what happened to you. He says, a man is tempted when he's drawn away by whose last? His own last and what is entire. So this is the process of sin. Every sin that is bad begins from here. It begins as a conception of last. Then that last entices you. That's the process. I'm teaching you so that when the process begins, you know that it's not every lastful feeling and every lastful thought that you should act on. Because you need to understand this about sex. Feeling for sex is not sinful. So anytime you feel for sex, you have not committed a sin. 
it is human to feel for sex. If you, if you are here, you have never felt for sex before. You have a problem. Go to your doctor. You must feel for sex as you are growing. It's part of being human. But you see, there's a difference between feeling for it and fulfilling it. So the difference between feeling for it and fulfilling it is what we are discussing here. It begins as a last. The desire will come. It's the same with every principle. The desire to be envious. It first begins as a thought. Ah, he has a car. I don't have a car. That's where the thought begins. Then the thought is conceived. That's a come. Any thought you have that or any desire begin to have that's not godly. Don't entertain it. Kill it immediately there. Because the more you meditate on it, that's where the problem comes. So he says, and it's enticed. Look at the next verse. And when last has what? Conceived. So it begins as last. It goes to what? Enticement. Enticement comes to what? Conception. And when, when it's conceived, it brings it for what? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings it for what? That means problems. Is it clear? Alright. Hedges. Next point. Hedges. Create hedges around you. Draw the line. Draw the line in anything that is not pure. Draw the line. Draw the line. Now, this is to save you. If you know you are strong in the area of probably holding some lady and you don't feel anything, maybe fine. We thank God for your life. If you can hold the, the hands of an opposite sex you are not dating or you are, you are not married to and then you are okay, that's fine. But the last time I checked, the, the palms alone has over 5,000 receptors. So there, there, are some, there are some adrenaline that, that, you know, there are some signals that just by holding hands alone, something is working. So if you don't want trouble for yourself, then those hedges must be created. If you have noticed, I hack sideways. You know that? Oh, you've not seen that? Yes. It's deliberate. <laughs> I want to be free. So sometimes I hack sideways. Not because I don't love you. I love you with the love of God, but I love myself also with the love of God. So it's better for me to hack sideways because, man of God, please let me give an example. Once, I, I don't know the harder it is, you know, and that's how I'm saying. So, something can choke me and I'll never be the same again. So, by the time I'm done like this, Jesus. <laughs> That'll be my end. I'll be in trouble. So, I just do this. How are you? Everything is fine. We thank God for your life. <laughs> by so doing, I'm just keeping myself alive. You understand what I'm saying? It, it is helpful. But sometimes some forget themselves. They need hug me up. When I say Jesus, in my mind, I'm like, save my soul, Lord. Okay. okay. A lot of you are holy, so you don't understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So, hedges must be created. Listen, create hedges. See, don't flirt around. Don't flirt. Because people flirt in church. I've taught that before. People flirt in church. <laughs> before you realize you're in trouble. 
Because all those things have a way of stirring things you cannot be able to handle. So create the boundary. Oh, I am a very nice person, you know, but when it comes to this area, I, I can change. Because I want to protect this thing. Because the day you hear I've messed up, that time you, you will forgive me because I'm your pastor. But how you hear me, how you listen to me may change. It will affect how you receive from me. Are you following this thing? So I have to do everything to preserve this small oil. This small oil. You have to protect it. Listen, all this spiritual investment you're doing, all these fastings, all this praying, you want to spoil it. So you have to create hedges. If you know yourself, don't enter into the room alone. Okay, let's continue. Let's continue. So what was the point I made? So, so the hedge is that you don't treat a lady like, you know, with so much extreme care just because of the love of God. You know, the person is crying. No, no, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. It's okay. And the person is like, no, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. You are not her savior. That bone, because when the person realizes that he's feeling comfortable in your arms, there will be an emotional bonding. There will be pastors who are bonded with their church secretaries. And now they are having issues with their wives. They are now discussing it with their secretaries for attention. And because of that, now, you know, because he's finding that, oh, he has been a good friend because he's now helping me to deal with the issues I'm having with my wife. Hey, you are creating problems. So hedges, boundaries. If you are a lady, you are working in an office, create boundaries with your boss. I'm telling you, create that boundary. It's so vital. And this is a discipline. People will not like you for that. That is not the matter. Create it. Let's finish it. Next point is the reality. Reality. Face the reality. That's what I'm saying. Acknowledge your vulnerability. That's what I'm saying. You are never beyond sexual impurity. You are never beyond it. The people who say, I can never are the people who eventually do it. See, let me advise you. Your pastor does not trust himself. How much more you? I don't trust myself. I am telling you the truth. I don't trust myself because I've served the Lord for some time. I pray for it. There are times eh, after praying for long hours, that's when temptation becomes higher. In fact, five times higher. Prophet Ima can experience it. Sometimes there are times I finish fasting. That's when some I say, what, what from this? What from this thing? It's on your short thing. Meanwhile, you are from a fast. Three days fast. So last is no respect of fasting. So you have to acknowledge that you can fall in that area at any time. That's what is saving me. So every time my eyes are open, I never trust myself that hey, I'm experienced. There's no experience when it comes to this matter. If you're a big man of God, small man of God, young man of God, big man of God, whatever it is, you are vulnerable. Acknowledge that. It will help you. Finally, 
divine awareness. Well, thank you for staying with me. Not many people will do this. This is a church. This is a church. What you are doing is real ministry. We won't preach 15 minutes to you for you to go and live life. Because we don't want to offend you. Mm. So finally, divine awareness. What is divine awareness? You must be so conscious and aware of God's presence that it will affect how you behave. An example of divine awareness is Joseph. There was no Bible with Joseph. Joseph did not have the Holy Ghost. He was not born again. But when you read Genesis 39.9 Joseph was aware of God. He says, how can I do such great wickedness? Meanwhile, God was not physically present. But he was aware of divine presence. There are sometimes a mere thought and awareness that God is around can affect you. When that thought comes, if there's anything I want to do, I don't do it. I can't do it. That God is watching. How can I do? Such great wickedness. So every act of sin is wickedness against God. He says such great wickedness and sin against God. Divine awareness. Tell someone divine awareness. How many have been blessed? I'm done with the whole series now. Are you excited? So, I can assure you, if you listen to this series from part one to part what? Eight. Something will shift about your life. Because myself, whilst preparing for this teaching, it was out of this, my life was changed. I knew some of these things, but whilst preparing in prayer, the Holy Ghost started shedding more light. The Christian life is a responsibility. Lift up your hands to the Lord and begin to pray to the Lord. I've been telling you that purity is a weapon. Purity is a very powerful spiritual weapon. It affects your confidence. Oh yes, it affects so many things about your life. You are praying and asking God for help. For Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Begin to ask Jesus for help right now. Oh Jesus, without you, I can do nothing. Help me to remain pure and walk with integrity before you. With uprightness before you, Lord. Come on, keep praying now. Jesus says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Prayer is an antidote against temptations. And you are telling Jesus in the strength and authority of your grace, I live above sin. The Bible says in Romans 6 verse 14 it says, for sin shall have no dominion over you because you are not under the law but under grace. That means a man who is truly under grace will surely not see sin dominating his life. 
and evidence that a man is living above sin is that he's under grace. God is looking for a generation that will rise up with a pure understanding of grace, an undefiled perspective of grace, a grace that transforms. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all. Teaching us that denying ungodliness that will live righteously and godly in this present world. <laughs>